And we're opening our Bible to Psalm, Book of Psalms, and uh, we'll be considering one Psalm this morning, Psalm 138. So if you'll turn there in your Bible, Psalm 138, and uh, this morning for our Thanksgiving weekend, we'll have a little more of a a devotional time here in Psalm 138, uh, more of a devotional feel uh, to help prepare us for thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is something that we should be uh, engaged in, something that we should be uh, happy to give thanks for, uh, for every day uh, to our Lord. So um, we are grateful, <laughs> thankful for a day that is set aside for giving thanks. And uh, to help us to prepare for that, Psalm 138 this morning, let's read it and then we'll pray. Psalm 138 says it is of David, and David writes, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Father, we lift up your name, God, because your name is great. You are high and lifted up, and Father, we want to be part of the people who lift up your name and give thanks to your name because that is glorifying to you. That is what you deserve. You are worthy of that and so much more. And Father, we echo David's prayer at the end here that you would not forsake the work of your hand. Lord, we are the work of your hand and our salvation is your work. We pray that you would not forsake that. You've told us that you won't, but we pray your will knowing that that's a prayer you will answer. We praise you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Well, this... Suddenly, somehow, the week of Thanksgiving kind of snuck up on me this year. But we are thankful that you are here to give thanks to our great God with us, worshiping Him together. As you're making final plans, you're finalizing how the week might look and what things might be like on Thursday in particular, how many of you have ever been to a Thanksgiving meal where you were all seated around the table and someone asked, now everyone needs to say something that they're thankful for? How many of you have had that? How many of you have had that awkward time (laughs) where you're sitting there like, oh my goodness, I'm glad I'm not first. I better come up with something to say. What are the typical answers? Um, As I look around, there's food all over the table. Food. We're thankful for food, right? As as we look around, there are people sitting around us and their family and friends. I'm thankful for family and friends, (laughs) right? Typical answers, home, food, family. Those are all good answers. But there are some things that are missing from those responses, and whether it's Thanksgiving or any other time and someone comes to you and asks you, what are you thankful for? 
for some reason for us, that question stops us in our tracks and we have to think about it. And as Pastor Kyle was praying this morning, it's sad that we have to be reminded, it's grievous to the heart that we have to be reminded to be thankful, isn't it? So there are some good answers, but there are some things that are missing from those responses um, of what we can be thankful for, what we should be thankful for, not just on Thanksgiving, but every day of our life. And David helps us to see and understand some things about thankfulness that we're going to look at. One of the things that's missing from those is um, who we're thankful to. When we go around the table and, oh, I'm thankful for food, I'm thankful for family and home and clothing and the sunshine and all that, those are all good answers. But who are you thanking when we give those answers? To really be thankful, there's not just what you're thankful for, but also to whom you are thankful. Um, Unless we think that things just happen to us or things just come about uh, for us, And we don't. We believe that God is in control. He is that sovereign Lord, as we read about in Acts this morning. Um, We're thankful to God, not just thankful, not thankful to the universe and not thankful to other gods or to even to ourselves. So that's one thing that's missing from many of our um, answers to that question, what are you thankful for? Another thing that's missing is, how are you thankful? How are you thankful? You know, I'm sitting here and well, I'm being forced to think of something, so I gotta, I gotta say something. But that's not always necessarily true thankfulness, is it? Being thankful for things and being able to name things is a good start, but how are we to be thankful? Is it more than just naming things? And, and David will address that. A final thing that's often missing is sort of that bigger view of life. The small view is good. We need to be thankful for the immediate blessings that that we get to eat right now or right then, not this second right now, but but being grateful for the food that God has given us, the clothing we have on right now, those immediate blessings. Some would even add to family and food football on Thanksgiving Day. (laughs) So not just those immediate blessings minus football, but it's also good (laughs) Just to kind of take a a step back and get a big picture of life and be thankful for why we're thankful. Because everything that happens in life, everything that we have in life or don't have, is not always and only just for our enjoyment. So let's see if we can work on our thankfulness this Thanksgiving through this psalm. And as we're asked, what are you thankful for? It should be a question that all Christians, again, are ready for all the time, thinking about all of the time, and ready to answer, especially at Thanksgiving. And so that not only can we name blessings that we're thankful for, but who it is we're giving thanks to and how and why. So let's dive into this psalm. It's instructive for us in giving thanks, and it's helpful. So the first thing we're going to notice is the, the personal thanksgiving to the Lord. David is personally giving thanks to the Lord, verses 1, 2, and 3. He says, I give, thanks, I give you thanks, O Lord. And you notice that O Lord there is all capital. To whom do we give thanks? It's the Lord, all caps. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible translations and why they do that, now, the all caps there is the Lord's personal name. His personal name is, Yahweh, or Jehovah, if you prefer. That, that's his name. See, every religion teaches thankfulness. Even non-religious people see thanks, uh, thanks and thanksgiving and thankfulness as a good thing. 
Even psychology sees it as a part of a happy and healthy life. It gives you positive feelings, it improves your health, it helps your relationships, all of those things. But whether it's in the world or whether it's in other religions, it's all either generic, having a sense of gratitude, or it's directed to a God, little g, who isn't really God. So when we give thanks, our thankfulness needs to be directed to the true and living God. But even that's not quite far enough. Because it's not just the living God, the God of all and of everyone and everything. David in this psalm uses God's personal name. He's our God. He is the personal living God who is here with us, who has done all things for us. The the God that we know and the God who knows us. Yahweh. This was important enough for, for God to spell out to Moses in Exodus 3. Remember when he had told Moses he needed to go, and Moses said, well, who am I supposed to say is sending me? God said in Exodus 3, uh, Moses is asking God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's right. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, God said, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This name of the Lord was important enough for him to reveal it to Moses. And he says later on in Exodus 6 uh, that I did not reveal myself to the people, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob before this. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. He is God Almighty. That's how he revealed himself to them. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. He said, I didn't reveal that to them yet. They knew I was a powerful God. They knew I was a a personal God, but they didn't know that my name, my personal name, they didn't know who I was in the I am I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. I have remembered my covenant, God said. So therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. God continues. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. He says, I will bring you out into the land that I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. That's how he revealed himself to his people. That's who he says that he is. He is the Yahweh, the I am, the always existent one. He, he never had a beginning. He'll never have an end. He has always existed. He's the uplifted, almighty, high God, the I am. So we give thanks to the Lord, all caps, as David does here, the Yahweh, Jehovah God, our God. Is he your God? Is that the God that we're giving thanks to when we say, I'm thankful for this, I'm, I'm thankful for that? Every good and perfect gift comes from him. 
Nothing comes to us through fate or the universe or ourselves or other people. It, it comes indirectly through them, but it comes to us all through God, our personal living God who has revealed himself to us, has given us his name. That's the one we give thanks to. And so David helps us to understand. We give thanks to the Lord. That's very helpful. We should never just be thankful. We should always be thankful to our God, the God who knows us and that we know. Well, next in verse 1, David exclaims to God how he gives thanks. He says in verse 1, with a little bit of energy. (laughs) I give thanks. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. He's not talking about the organ inside your chest that's beating blood, of course, throughout your body. He's not talking about uh, just the inner person. He's talking about the completeness of his inner being, his entire heart, his mind, his soul, all that I am, everything that makes me who I am, I use that that's engaged in giving thanks to the Lord. Giving thanks to the Lord from within is what he thinks about, what he feels, what he's concerned about, what he acts on. Now for David, giving thanks with his whole heart meant everything within him. And in his life in the Old Testament, you can see it by writing psalms. Uh, He played the harp, making sacrifices. At one point, we see him dancing around so much that his wife is embarrassed for him because she's, you know, what are you doing, David? You're just, you made a fool out of yourself. It's like, I'll do that for the Lord. (laughs) I'm giving thanks to my God, right? He's giving thanks with his whole heart, his whole mind, his whole soul, and it's coming out through his actions, not just on Thanksgiving, but all throughout the year. One of the favorite questions that Pastor Kyle likes to ask is one that we consider now, what would it look like for you to give thanks to God with your whole heart? What would it look like? It probably wouldn't look the same as for David unless you know how to play the harp or unless you were going to to dance around and and make a fool of yourself. (laughs) What would it look like from the inside, loving the Lord with your entire heart? Would it look like speaking it? I'm thankful to the Lord for fill in the blank, everything he has done and said and is and and will be. Yes, that's true. That's part of the the nature of giving thanks. But what other forms will it take? Will it take the form of prayer? Just taking time to thank God for who he is. Will it take the form of telling other people? You know, people around us uh, this week are in the mood for hearing about thankfulness and thanksgiving. Will we be able to, to, to voice that to people? Um, you know, happy thanksgiving to the Lord. Happy thankfulness to the Lord this week and today and every day of the year. Will it look like singing it? And, and what about the, the actions? What about the, what we do in, in our lives? How would our lives look different if we were consumed with thankfulness from our whole heart? from within. Wouldn't our lives look different? If we didn't have to stop, if, we didn't, if it didn't stop us in our tracks when somebody said, what are you thankful for? Oh, um, <laughs> with my whole heart, from within, my whole heart, mind, soul, body, spirit is living thankfulness to him. Look what else David says about his thanksgiving. He gives thanks to the Lord with his whole heart, before the gods, I sing your praise. Now, what does this mean? Why, why would David say this in this psalm? 
Well, we know that at this point, Israel was the only nation in the area that was praising, that was worshiping the true God, Yahweh, right? This, this one true living God. They all had other gods. They had gods plural um, all around them. And, and they believed in those gods, right? Why else would you worship gods unless you thought they were the, the true gods? But part of the reason for having so many gods was because they were afraid of offending one, but then they could go over here and, and appease this one, right? So I can play this God against that God, and, and I can trust in this God and that land, but then, you know, if I make him mad, I can just move somewhere else and have a different God, and he'll look after me for a while. And a lot of different gods and, and trying to appease the different gods. But when David says this, he's declaring exclusive worship to the true and living God right in front of all of those other gods. So for David, there's no backup plan, Right? This is the one true God, and in front of all of those other gods, I don't care what happens, what they think they can do to me, I'm believing in, trusting in, praising this God. I give thanks, I sing the praise of God and God alone. He says, I'm cutting myself off from any other help. There's no other God around that could even, uh, even think of helping, because the other gods can't even think, right? <laughs> When you sing the praises of this true God, you give thanks to him. You're giving thanks to him for everything. He is the true God of, the, of creation, of our life, of my life. This is an internal truth for David. I'm giving thanks to him, and I'll do it in front of any other God. I'm cutting myself off from any other God. Jonah do you remember what he said when, when he was on the ship and it was being rocked back and forth and, and all of the men of the ship were, were praying to their gods and they said, Jonah, why aren't you praying? Wake up and pray to your God. Who are you anyway? Jonah said, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, all caps, this personal God, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. That's who Jonah proclaimed to them that he worshipped. None of, these, none of these other gods, the God of the sea or the God of the land, the God of the storm, the God of the wind, none of those other gods, only this one true living God. And Paul, in Acts 17, you remember when he went up to Mars Hill? And they worshipped all kinds of gods. And, and again, the same thing for the Greeks and the Romans. They, they had a, a statue and, and sacrifices for this God and for that God. And they worshipped this God and that God. And then they had one more God off all, all by himself over here, by itself, to the unknown God, Right? Paul said, I passed along and observed the objects of your worship in Acts 17. I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Right? You can't confine him to a temple, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Paul was teaching about the true and living God to the people who believed in all of the other gods, and, and he was giving him worship and giving him praise and telling other people about him. He says, yet he's actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. 
So he says, being then God's offspring, you ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. Paul said, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, Paul says, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Before we go any further, this is the message for us this morning if we don't know the Lord and if we do know the Lord. That, that God has been here with us, that he has seen each one of us. He sees into our hearts and, hearts and in our minds. He knows what's going on inside of us and he knows what we're going to say before we do. He knows that we are but dust. He knows that we have a short time on this earth. He knows that we're weak in and of ourselves. But even more than that, he knows that we have chosen for ourselves rebellion and sin instead of worship to him. And so God, in his infinite wisdom and his almighty love and power and knowledge, came up with a plan to save us from that sin. Because he knows that we will be punished forever in his wrath if we don't repent. So he's now given this command for all men everywhere, all men, women, boys and girls and children and adults and everyone everywhere to repent. Because when we turn away from sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, that's how God proved that's who he is. That's where the Lord gives us life. Life everlasting, life eternal. Rather than suffering, we go to glory with him, to praise him forever. Jesus is the one who brings us to God through repentance. When, you're, when you do that, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you turn away from your sins, you believe in him and you submit to him in your life from now until he calls you home, you're declaring allegiance and worship and thankfulness to this God and to him alone. And that's the picture of baptism that we're so excited to be a part of uh, in, in a couple of months, not too far away, January 2nd, that, that public profession, yes, I stand here saved by the Lord, known by Him, and I know Him and Him exclusively. And I want to be known by the name of Jesus. I want to be called a Christian, a Christ follower, because I'm thankful to Him. So give thanks to the real, true, living God through Jesus for salvation. David says we give thanks to this God, this true Lord, with our whole heart, and it produces action. It, it does change what we do on the outside. Look at the action it produces in David in verse 2. He says, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name. Now in David's time, there was a temple, and it was a, it was a magnificent temple, um, overlaid with gold inside. There, there, there was so much in there and so many people in the world have never been able to see it. It was, it was only the priests who could go into the, the holy of holies, the most holy place within that temple. And only certain people at certain times could go inside the temple, but, but the Jewish people could get close and they could, they could see at least the inside. And, and they could be amazed at this temple that was built for God, built for the worship of God. God commanded all worship to be centered and directed there. So that's where David bowed down. That's where he bowed toward. His, his worship was directed there. That's where sacrifices were made for sin. That's where a sin, sin was atoned for. That's where the presence of God was, was manifest in that place. 
But Jesus taught in John 4 that the time is now here when we will no longer worship in a temple. There's no longer one building where God's manifest presence is, is visible and it's seen in, in one place. But Jesus says we will worship the true God now in spirit and in truth. And that doesn't mean emotions, but they can follow. They can be involved. But our affections, our, the sp- in spirit and truth is our affections. Are, again, our whole heart, mind, soul, spirit. The spirit that God has given us in regeneration. We use the spirit, the affections, our heart, mind, everything within us. We're engaged with the truth, accepting and believing the truth. And it affects us within to cover our whole heart and mind, soul, everything So that now, instead of bowing to a temple, we are a temple of God. Each person who has believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord has become a temple of the Lord. The Holy Spirit indwells us as God within a temple. We become that temple. And then when we come together on Sundays, brothers and sisters, we come together and we worship God together, we together become the temple of God. The Holy Spirit indwells all of us together, the church when we're worshiping God. And so now we don't regularly bow physically to him, but what actions would reveal that you are bowing to him within with your whole heart and mind and strength? Instead of to the temple, instead of bowing to a building in the east or in the west, depending on what part of the world you're in, what actions do we have that reveal our submission to him, our bowing to him in worship and in thankfulness? Thankfulness is a, is a crucial part of worship. So what does it look like when we're bowing to the Lord, we're giving thanks, we're worshiping Him? For David, it was physically bowing toward the temple. And for us, as the temple, we bow our will. We bow in submission to Him, and we serve Him in thankfulness. And so those are some helpful instructions from David from his personal thanksgiving to the Lord about what it looks like. He expands a little bit. He he says here that he gives thanks to your name. Again, that's the Lord, his name. It's the all-encompassing name of the Lord. He doesn't mean just the name Yahweh, just the name Lord. We know that name in Bible means the Lord's reputation, the Lord's character, who he is, right? We use name this way. Oh, you have a good name, right? You have a good name among the, the, the people around you. You have a good name at work or a good name in your neighborhood. It's what people know of you, your reputation and how people perceive you. The Lord actually at one point declared his name. You remember when Moses said, God, I want to I see you. I, I want to see your face. And God said, no, Moses, you can't see my face. No human can see the face of the Lord and live but he passed by him and he covered him as he passed by and then he, he let Moses see just the, the back of his manifest presence and glory. And he declared the name of the Lord in Exodus 34. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So everything, everything to know about God, about who he is. 
He's this, this Lord, this Yahweh, who always was and always is, who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. People think of God as an angry tyrant in the sky just waiting to strike people when they sin. <laughs> He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. His whole reputation and character. What is his name from Exodus 34 that, that David pulls out here? His steadfast love and faithfulness. His steadfast love and faithfulness. We can't do justice this morning to, to all that that means. But why would God love us? Not just in the general sense of creation because he loves every single person made in his image. He loves this entire creation because it proclaims his glory. But why would he love us with a special saving kind of love? He answered that question to Israel in Deuteronomy 7. <laughs> he didn't answer that phone call, but he answered that, <laughs> he answered that question. He said, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you because you were the least of all peoples. But it is because, here's what he says. Here's the answer to the question. Why did the Lord love us? Why did God love us? Why did he choose us as his people? But it is because the Lord loves you. <laughs> And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. God loves you because God loves you. <laughs> As his own special people through Jesus Christ. The answer here to this question was his redeemed people Israel. Redeemed from Egypt and from slavery. That was his answer to them and his answer to us is the same. It's not because we're more than any other people, more in number. It's not because we're better than any other people. It's not because we have decided to know him so then he decides to know us. No, he loves us because he decided to love us. Because God himself is love. And his love is steadfast and he's faithful in that love. When God made a decision to create the world, he didn't second guess it and say, well, never mind, I think I'll do something different. <laughs> he, he followed through with it. When God said, I'm going to love these people, he didn't say, never mind, they're not lovable, I'm going to do something different. He followed through with it. He's steadfast in that love. It, it, it talks about God's immutability. It, it tells us about his unchangeableness. His immutability means he never changes. He decided to love, therefore, he loves and he loves us. And it never changes because it's a steadfast love. And it's a faithfulness in that love. No matter what else happens. He's faithful to that because of who he is. That means that for him to deny his love for us would be to deny himself. Because he is love. So it's because of his steadfast love and his faithfulness in verse 2. He continues his thanksgiving to God. Because you've exalted above all things your name and your word. His name is exalted above all. His word is exalted above all. Why? Because his word reveals his name. His word is, is what reveals and shows and explains who God is. God's mind is written for us. The words of God are here on pages for us to know and they're preserved for us. And so, so God's word and his name are exalted. So David gives thanks. 
But it's really not just that settled reality. It's not head knowledge, right? We talk about that a lot, that it's not just head knowledge, that I know who God is because the Bible says, and I know how God saved me because the Bible says, and I know who Jesus is because the Bible says. That is true. That is the source of wisdom, and that is what God uses to bring faith to us. But also experientially, David knows this God. Experientially, David has known God's salvation. How often in in David's life does he call out to God for help? Does he he cry out to him and and God strengthens him and saves him? In fact, if you're here in Psalm 138, turn back to Psalm 34 for just a second to see this. Psalm 34, you you may remember in, in 1 Samuel, King Saul was chasing after David. And Saul knew that David was going to be the next king. He was going to replace him. Instead of Saul getting to be king, instead of Saul's son, David would be the king. And so Saul was, was chasing David and trying to kill David. He was trying to take him out so that God's word and name would not uh, come about. God's word wouldn't come about and God's name would be weakened. So Saul is chasing David. David flees to Abimelech. And when Abimelech gets a hold of David in 1 Samuel, Abimelech says, hey, this is David. This is, this is the next king of Israel. What are we going to do with, with this guy? David doesn't know what to do, so he starts acting crazy. He starts drooling down his beard. He starts clawing at wood. He starts acting insane. And God used that. Psalm 34, just the superscription here, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Abimelech said, I got enough crazy people, what do I need this guy for? And he kicked him out. <laughs> he said, get him out of my face, right? It was an amazing thing that happened. I don't know that I would have come up with that, but, but that's how David came up with what to do, and that's what God used to deliver him from Abimelech. God strengthened him, God saved him, even using something, I don't know, something sort of ridiculous like that, just acting insane. Turn backward to Psalm 18 to see just, uh, just another superscription of David. And this one's long. It's a good idea not to skip over these. These are really helpful when we're, when we're reading Psalms and understanding these Psalms. This one explains to us, not a specific occasion, but as David again took that big step back and looked at the big perspective, it says in Psalm 18, to the choir master, a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved for my enemies. It's not just that God's word says it, it is that, but also God gives us the, the knowledge and the, and the experience with him in his word and in life. And it just makes us well up with thankfulness. It makes us well up with praise. We know the salvation of God, maybe even better than David did, because David knew the salvation of God from physical enemies. People who were really trying to kill him, trying to take him out from being king. We know the God of salvation because of our sins. For eternity, 
so that he, he saves us from his own wrath. He, he is the one who saves us. We are the one who give him thanks because that's all we can give him in return. We have nothing else. We use these same psalms, these, these same songs of grace to sing to the Lord. We sing of the Lord's grace. We sing of his work. We sing of his name and his word and all that he is and all that he does. Well, this was David's personal thanksgiving to the Lord. In verses 4, 5, and 6, he speaks of some universal thanksgiving to the Lord. And we'll move through this quickly. All, David says, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. Why? Why would all the kings of the earth give the Lord praise and thanksgiving? For they have heard the words of your mouth. Again, his word is exalted. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord. Everything the Lord has done, all that he is. Again, his name, his character, what he's done and who he is. They will sing the ways of the Lord. Why? Because great is the glory of the Lord. The Old Testament is full of the rest of the world eventually coming to know who God is and then singing his praise and worshiping him. The New Testament is, it tells us the same thing that in Philippians 2 Because Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him, and every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. All will be humble. Until then, we continue our thanksgiving to him and worship of him. Though he is high, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. That's highness of God, the transcendence of God. As as Pastor Tom was saying this past week, we got together, some of us in, in our body, and, and we just prayed to God because of who he is. We, we prayed thankfulness, and, and we prayed to extol and to exhort and to admire and adore and, and lift up and exalt and, and all, of these, all of these synonyms and words that mean giving thanks and praise and worship to God just because of who he is. One of those, the transcendence of God, the highness of God. He, he is the I am incomparable in the greatness and majesty of all of his words and works and essence and being. The universe cannot contain this God. He is the most excellent beings and all of the most excellent beings infinitely fall short of who he is. The being of all beings. The almighty lifted up exalted God. This transcendent God who is above all things, he's outside of time. He exists in himself, by himself, for himself. He regards the lowly. He sees us. The the regards there means he sees us. He looks after us. He's here for us and cares for us. And we've been learning that even in 1 Peter, that, that God is here for us, that he loves us, he cares for us. He gives grace to the humble, the lowly. But those who are haughty, it says, he knows from afar. And we've talked about that also in the past couple of weeks, that God knows everyone, but he knows us, his people, in a relational, intimate sense. Everybody else he knows, he knows from afar, not closely, not relationally in Jesus. The Lord makes this come about, this will happen. Where they will, be, they will come before the Lord one day. They will come and stand before him. And he will ask them, tell me your works. Tell me what you did. Tell me what you thought. Tell me what you did with the time that I gave you. And the Bible tells us that he will judge them for their works. According to their deeds. So our job 
is to tell these people about it before it's too late, before they get to that point. To give thanks to our Lord in their hearing, in the hearing of one another, to encourage one another. To give thanks to Him by sharing that truth of Jesus Christ saving us and loving us, dying for us, rising again, praying for us even now. Our job is to let people know before it's too late and before they're forced to bow to Him that they need to bow to Him now. That's why we've offered the class for sharing Jesus without fear two weeks in a row. That's why we, that's the, these are the second and third times we've actually shared it. Uh, th- this, is a, this is so important for us. This is what Jesus gave us to do before he left. The last words he said before he ascended into heaven was for us to go make disciples. So we're giving thanks to the Lord. We're giving thanks personally. The giving thanks to the Lord will happen universally. But then finally, third, there's a personal confidence in the Lord. That's what David gives in verses 7 and 8. A personal confidence in the Lord. Look at the confidence he has. Based on all that the Lord is. Based on everything that David knows and everything that he's recognized about the Lord. From his word and from experience. Look at how his life is changed. Though I walk in the midst of trouble. There is no fear for David. God preserves him from his enemies. Even close calls. We, looked at, we, we talked about Abimelech. Saul. There were two different times where Saul had him cornered. And he, could have, he, he would have been taken if God had not spared his life. Absalom, his own son, raised, raised himself up, staged a coup. David left. David actually took off with some of his most trusted uh, advisors and followers and, and abandoned the throne to his son for a time before God delivered him. He preserved him. Even when it was time for David to die, God preserved him eternally. See, the Lord may give us over to our enemies physically, but he will repay those wrongs done to us and he will never leave us on our own. He will ultimately and always deliver us. So even when we're in the midst of trouble, even when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, Psalm 23, even when we're being maligned and, and criticized and made fun of, even when we're being talked about and talked against, though we walk in the midst of trouble, any kinds of trouble that we come along, the Lord preserves our life. The God who sees us, regards us, knows us. I think of all that he has, prepared, that he has preserved us from. I mean, how many years that we've been able to live in this country without enemies coming against us, just as a physical level. Think of how many years we've lived as God's people without significant forms of persecution coming against us. The Lord has been so good to preserve us. The Lord will be good to preserve us even if he allows us to fall into the hands of our enemies. The Lord preserves our life. Notice his hand, his hand that's against the enemies. His powerful hand is against the enemies, but it's a hand of deliverance for us. The hand of God that holds us. No one can snatch us out of that hand. The hand of the Son who is also holding on to us. Here's the key for his confidence in verse 8. Look what he says. The Lord will fulfill his promise for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. If you want another memory verse, if you want another verse to memorize, consider this one. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. What is the Lord's purpose for us? Is, is the Lord's purpose for me to, 
to live the American dream? <laughs> is it to get all that I want? Is it to be happy all the time? The Lord's purpose for us is to bring us home to be in his glory forever like Jesus, his son. His purpose is to make us like his son. This is why we're here. This is that bigger picture. Not just the daily food and daily clothing and daily shelter and, and the provision and the protection and all of those things. Those are good. But backing up and getting the perspective, God's purpose is going to be fulfilled. He will have his purpose. As we like to say, Jesus wins. Amen? <laughs> that purpose will be fulfilled. This is how we can, Ephesians 5.20, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, how can I give thanks when I'm going through trouble? Because the Lord's using that trouble to get his purpose to be accomplished. He will fulfill his purpose for me. Yeah, but I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. That's not his purpose, is it? <laughs> his purpose is to love us, to care for us. He'll be there with us. He'll guide us through. But he's shaping us. He's molding us. He's molding up and bringing about his purpose. And you'll never let us go. Your steadfast love, O oh Lord, endures forever. You know, if we would submit to him and, and we would keep in mind his purpose for our life, we'd struggle a little less often. <laughs> when, when the hard times come, not because the hard times won't be hard anymore, they're still going to hurt. It's going to be hurt to be chiseled and molded, and shaped, and melted down, and, and shaped back up into what God would have us to be, his purpose. It's still going to hurt, but we're going to rest in him, knowing that his purpose will be fulfilled. Our salvation will be brought to fruition at the end. It will come about. His steadfast love endures forever. And then David prays here at the end, do not forsake the work of your hands. He won't. <laughs> he never will forsake the work of his hands. His, his hand has brought about our salvation. His hand has given us deliverance from sin, from the power of the presence, and oh, one day the presence, the power of the penalty, and one day the presence of sin. He'll never forsake that. But that's David casting his anxieties on the Lord. Lord, I'm, I'm, I see these things. I don't know how they're going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen. He had very real enemies coming against him, so he prayed, don't forsake. Lord, remember your covenant. Remember your promise. Remember me. Because I belong to you. So if we're going to be thankful all the time, and if we're going to be able to answer that awkward question, <laughs> hopefully it won't be awkward for us. Uh, hopefully we can think about all of the time being thankful to the Lord. We can number all of God's blessings. We can think about everything that the Lord has given to us and done for us and, and withholds from us, and we can be thankful. Always to Him with our whole heart because of the purpose that he has for his glory. So when we're asked that question, <laughs> maybe we won't even have time to finish. <laughs> Everybody else will just say, that's enough, we're going to eat now. <laughs> Let's continue to be thankful every day with our whole heart because of the purpose God has for us, for his glory. Father, we thank you. God, we say that, but Lord, I pray that you would enable that to be true within us, that we would thank you God, that we would give thanks because that's what's true in our heart, that we have been recognizing who you are, that we've been acknowledging your greatness, your transcendence, your power, your eternality. Lord, all of the things that are true about you, that we know about you because of your word. 
Father, you've exalted your name and your word above all things. God, I pray that you would help us to recognize, to submit to that, Father, to live out thanksgiving. Not just this week, not just on Thursday, but Lord, every day with our whole heart to you. God, I pray that you would give us opportunities, Lord, and, and courage, boldness, and love, Lord, to share the thankfulness we have to you with others. Lord, your purpose for us is to be worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. God, your, your purpose for us is to make disciples. Father, your purpose for us is to be built up in, in your word and your faith and your truth and love, Lord, that we would be serving, that would be useful to you. God, I pray that you would enable that in each one of us, Lord. I pray that your love would come through all of the words that we say, all of the things that we do, Father, that it would be done in love for you and thanksgiving to you. We ask this because we can't do this. We ask this in the name of your Son, the all-powerful one, the almighty Savior and Lord. Amen.